0: It's a delight to be back here again with you, and I've enjoyed the last couple of services I've spent with you. I uh, came early, and um, sometimes that's the only way that you can uh, stop people from asking you to do things, to just leave town, give you a little time by yourself to study and to think things through. And so, it's a delight again to be in this place in this season of your ministry here in Licking County. And I'd like to begin this evening by directing your attention to uh, the book of Jonah. and I want to read to you a couple of verses in the first chapter and use it as a jumping off point into a subject that is on my heart this evening. The book of Jonah, of course, is about a man who is a prophet who's called by God to go and do something. And, of course, he doesn't want to do it, and he has good reason not to want to do it. Uh, he's instructed to go preach to the Ninevites. N- the Ninevites inhabited the capital of the Assyrian uh, kingdom, the Assyrian empire, and they were a, a vicious people and had been very cruel to his own people. That's not the point I want to drive at. I just want you to know that I know what the book, book's talking about. Uh, But in any case, he gets on a boat, and he goes in the opposite direction. And a great storm, a God-sent storm, is sent into the ocean, and uh, it surrounds that boat. And in verse 4, we read these words, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his own God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Now, I don't know much about selling. I've been on a fishing boat many times, and I've never been in a tempest. I've never been in a hurricane as these sailors were in. But uh, what you read from the ancient sailors, what you hear quite often from those who have sailed the sea and then Written to tell about it is that when the storm comes, you ought to begin to lighten the load. If you find yourself in the middle of a great wind, if you find yourself in the middle of a tempest, uh, the ancient sailors would begin to throw stuff over the over the board, over the board into the ocean. In fact, there is a place in Acts chapter 27, verse 19, where Paul is in a boat. They can't get things worked out and on the third day the, they began to throw things over the side of the boat. That would lighten the boat so that the boat would sit higher on the waves. It would also throw things over the, into the ocean that might catch fire and might uh, ignite a fire on the boat. So they would throw, usually they would start with the flammable items that would go into the ocean. And it seems to me that if you find yourself in a storm, you might take a piece of advice from the sailors. When you're in a storm, one of the things that you and I have to do is you have to begin throwing some things over the the side. There are some things that you can tolerate in your life. There are some things that you can live with. There are some things that aren't a problem as long as your life is going well. But when things get tempest, tempesty, there are things that have to go over the side of the boat. In your life, if your marriage is going well, you can afford to put up with some things. Things are going well, and, and uh, you can live with things that uh, when the sailing gets tough, you got to deal with. In your family, there are things that uh, you can live with. You can put up with those things. But when the storms come, you have to face them, and you have to deal with some things that maybe you would put, put off. That's true in your life, in your life when things are going well, and things go well quite often for people who live in America, and sometimes in America we go years sometimes in our life, and we have a very nice run of things, and uh, we uh, allow things to accumulate in our hearts, we allow things to accumulate in our lives that that, uh, don't sink us in the moment. They shouldn't be there but because things are going so well, we can live with them on board. But again, when the storms come, when we find ourselves in periods of great temptation, when we find ourselves in periods of great struggle, when we reach those places in our lives and again in our families and marriages where the going gets very hard, you have to take a really strong look at the cargo that you're carrying in your life. And in any life, I think that there are at least three or four things that have to begin to go over the side of the boat into the water if you find yourself in a storm. And the first is pessimism. Pessimism. I, again, I haven't been in a boat when... The waves are really strong. I've been in a boat when I thought the waves were high, but it was nothing. But when the waves are really high and there is a sense that the boat might be threatened, I figure the last guy I want on the boat is the guy running around yelling, we're all going to die. I mean, that's the guy. And he may think he's being helpful, but he's really of no help at all. The last thing you need is that guy that has no faith, that's not operating according to faith. The guy who is the naysayer, that guy just needs to go over the side. Pessimism just needs to go over the side and find a watery demise. Don't get rid of pessimism when things are going hard. You have to operate in faith. You have to operate at least in hope. And hope is suspicion that something good might happen anyway. Now, again, when we think about hope, hope hope is a suspicion that, again, things might go well. Pessimism is the great suspicion that something's about to go wrong. He can't operate in pessimism. I mean, you think about having a suspicious mind. Imagine that uh, you worked all day and you go home. This is a guy I'm talking to here. There's your neighbor. He's in the yard and he's working out there. You drive up, it's 5.15, you're home, and um, he waves you over and says, come over here, I want to talk to you about the the property line here. we got some stuff growing on the property line. You walk over there, and he says, I don't want to talk to you about the property line. I just wanted to talk to you. Now, this is none of my business. And I've struggled with whether to have this conversation with you, but the bottom line is, if the shoe were on the other foot, and I was in your situation, I'd want somebody to tell me, so I'm going to tell you. Now, there's been a white truck parked in your driveway twice in the last two weeks. And this afternoon, about 2 o'clock, your wife walked a guy to the truck, and he drove off. Now, again, it's none of my business. I realize neighbors shouldn't talk this way to each other. But um, again, if it was happening in my house, I don't want to know. I think you need to find out what's going on in your house when you're not there. Well, from then on, you got a suspicious mind. I mean, you're yeah, Elvis Presley, man. We can't go on this life, too much longer. I-, I mean, everything your wife does, you got a suspicion something's going wrong. I mean, if she's gone 30 minutes past when she said you'd, she'd be home, you're thinking something bad's happening. I know something's bad. If she shaves her legs twice in a week, <laughs> I said, something's wrong with my wife. She's being normal. She's doing what she... Something's wrong. We've been married for 20 years. Something's wrong. Because you got a suspicious mind, and pessimism is the suspicion that something bad is happening. But hope is the suspicion, in spite of everything I see going on in my life, Something good might be around the corner. And if you're a Christian, you got to operate in hope. You got to operate in positive suspicion because you believe in a God. You believe that in spite of your financial situation, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so the check might already be in the mail. You believe as you look around and others are being blessed, you say, well, God's in the neighborhood. My house might be next. He's blessing all down this road. When you look at your situation and say, you know what? God doesn't heal everybody but he heals a lot of people and I'm a believer, I'm a Christian and I might be in line for a miracle so I'm going to keep praying. I am going to remain hopeful in my situation. You got to keep the hope. You Nothing good is going to come by being the guy who's operating not in faith. There's a God, there's a creator, there's one who takes two uh, ears and one leg and and refashions the lamb. There's the one who speaks to the bones in the valley of of dryness and they all come together. There's the God who sends His Spirit and He descends on the day of Pentecost and there's 3,000 people not thinking about getting saved that day, but they do when the church begins. you got to believe in that kind of a God. See, you guys... You know, you're in a bit of a storm. Any pastoral search is a bit of a storm. You got a room full of people that never been through a pastoral search. Yeah, I got a a little bit of a storm. When you got an independent church of God, it's a little bit more of a storm. Um, I went to Tennessee and a former pastor uh, was in the hospital and I went to see him. He said, well, pastor, you got yourself a church there. And uh, he said, there's something you need to know about pastoring in East Tennessee. He said, most of those people came over the hills of North Carolina one or two generations ago. They're hillbillies. And they came down into Tennessee and intermingled and married the tobacco farmers. What all that means is that in East Tennessee, they've been bred to fight. And that's what you pastor. (laughs) I'm around pastors sometimes, and they say, so why would a church be independent? And I say, because a large majority of that church likes their independence. They're independent. Um, Those are issues, and... When you come to select a pastor, there's a variety of ways you can go, which leads to a differing of opinions. You want a young one? Do you want an old one? What are the things that he has to believe and preach? What are the things that are optional? What are the things that have to be on the resume? What are the things that are optional? Um, you want a married preacher you want a preacher with kids what if his kids are hellions, do you want them there you can come but you leave the kids where they, you got them from <laughs> um, so what, what's their ordination uh, full time, part time And then you get it narrowed down, and then you have to sit with them and say, well, what's your vision for the church? What do you think you'll do in the first three years? If they're smart, they say, I don't have a clue. But uh, you want to dig deeper than that. You want to try to find out what they're thinking. Uh, And so all of those issues present a situation where you can have moments of intense fellowship, but his fellowship, the storm. And even in America, every four years, we get out there and about kill each other. And and, uh, it's all carnality in a presidential election. We get through it and we go back to normal. Even when you lose the election, you say, well, we'll vote the dirtbag out in four years, but we're getting back to our own. We'll get them, we'll get them. And so, you know, it always looks like things might go from bad to worse, but it seldom, seldom does. It works its way out. There are a lot of different options and you wind your way through and you have moments of intense fellowship, but you get there, you get there, you get there. And churches do that, and that's pretty common. It's pretty common. Uh, It's not something that, You should get overly alarmed about till people start carrying firearms to church. Now, when they start doing that, when the bow and arrows show up, then you're gonna have to do something. But until then, you gotta be positive. Put pessimism over the side, walk in faith. There's a God. And unless you believe God has abandoned you, unless you believe it's God's design that this church crumble and this church go out of business, you gotta have faith. If there's a God on the throne, if this church is part of his plan for winning the church for winning Newark and Licking County, if if God has a plan for you. If he called you into existence, surely he does not abandon his people when they need him. And so you got to walk in faith with that. Now, one of the ways that you walk in faith is you look at what you have instead of what you don't have. Now, that's a biblical principle. Uh, Elisha shared that with the widow Sar- Uh she's got uh, two sons her husband's died she has no money they're in debt the boys are about to be uh, taken into slavery to pay for the debt so she dumps all that on preacher Elisha now if it was me I would say how much money do you think you need you're asking for money right Um, uh, what do you want me to do? But Elisha's a wise prophet. And his question to her is, well, what have you got? You've told me what you don't have. Tell me what you got. And she said, well, all I've got is a bowl or a pot of oil. And he said, well, that's good enough. Go out, borrow all the pots, bring them here. And as she began to pour the oil into the pots, The oil kept pouring out of the original pot until there were no more pots and the oil was taken and sold and she was able to keep her sons from going into slavery and the great miracle was accomplished in her life. Now again, here she is. She doesn't have a husband. He doesn't have financial security. Um, This future looks bleak in the moment. But the prophet said, tell me what you have. I don't want to hear your sad story. Tell me how God has blessed you. What has he blessed you with? You've told me everything you don't have, but how has God blessed you thus far? And again, you have to do that in your life. You have to look at your life and say, well, you know what? We're really having an issue in our marriage. But you know what? You know what? I can drive to church. I got a car. I uh I ate dinner. When I go home, I'll have a mattress and I'll even have air conditioning. Something 80% of the world doesn't have. That's something. And you say, "Well, you don't understand my physical situation. My body is is really hurting." I mean, I'm got a lot of physical stuff well what can you do can you eat great blessing to be able to sit at a table and eat a meal are you able to, to sleep do you have any food to eat you told me all the things that are hurting is there anything not hurting is anything work? What, what's the two things in your body that's working well Other than your tongue that's complaining, is there anything else that's working well? I mean, you you have to, as a spiritual discipline, say, but what do we have? See, as a a church, there's nobody out there feeling sorry for you guys. You're sitting there saying, well, where are we going to find a pastor? Everybody else is sitting there saying, no, we ain't sorry for those guys. Look at the building, look at the choir. Look at how God has blessed that church. We're not crying for you guys. They're not crying for you. There's nobody coming out there to help you. I showed up, but there's nobody else. Because you don't help a guy driving a Tesla on the side of the road. You help the person in the hoop mobile. But you ain't got no hoopy mobile here. I mean, you are so blessed God has given you so much and if Elisha were here today and he would say, what do you have? We would be here till 11, 12 o'clock with you telling Elisha what you have been blessed with. That's wonderful. I was talking too. Uh, there's a girl I like to pick on in our church. She's the daughter of our, of our youth director. And I have told Jules, her name is Jules Aiken. And Jules is probably about 20 now. And I say, Jules, the, the sad thing about your life is that nobody will ever feel sorry for you. Because her dad is the most successful pediatrician in town. And she has been raised with all the advantages of his very prosperous business and occupation. She is uh, beautiful. She was always of the homecoming court going through a school. She went to college on a volleyball scholarship. And I say, Jules, you know, who's going to cry for you? And she laughs and I laugh, but it, it, it's, it's like when you have been blessed with that much, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. You have been so abundantly blessed. And you have been blessed. You have been graciously and marvelously blessed as a church. What do you have? What do you have? I was in uh, Canada preaching in Edmonton last year. I think I've preached here since then. And um, it, it is a significant congregation there. It's the home church of Gertie Farmer. Some of you know Ralph and Gertie Farmer, many of you. Do. It's her home church. It's also the home church of of an old uh, Church of God writer named H.C. Heffron. Some of you probably have H.C. Heffron material. His son still goes there. I met his son, who's a psychologist. Not important to the story. Um, I went there, and I had been in conversation with their pastor. Several of us here in the States had been because... They had bought some property, but there was a lot of resistance to moving to that piece of property, which was on the other side of Edmonton. And this was a church of about 300 people, and they voted to move, and it passed 60% to 40%. Now, everybody and their brother told the pastor, you can't move a church on a 60% vote you got to go back and regroup. We didn't hear from the pastor for a while. Next thing we knew, they had moved. Like, oh, that's going to be bad. You can't move. I mean, because it, it, you, can't, you can't tick off 40% of your people when you're about to assume significant debt. I mean, that's, that's not any good. Well, I went up there, a uh, few months after that and preach for a few nights. And at that point, the church had rebounded marvelously. And today, that church is running well over 500 people. And when you look at the platform, it's full of kids. There must be 100 kids. And there's a, a large, uh, I believe, a Kenyan segment to the neighborhood they moved in. So, so it's red and yellow, black and white. It is a beautiful marvelous congregation they made the right decision it's clear that God was behind that decision and he blessed that decision although none of us thought that was the right decision the council of wisdom said don't do it they did it anyway but I didn't understand that decision till I went there and I went to the home of the chairman of the board there I don't know how their church is structured, but he was the top guy. And then I understood why that decision got made, because I sit down with him, and he is the head of the oil reserves in Canada in Alberta. He doesn't have hundreds of people working for him. He has thousands of people working for him, under his, at least his uh, structural chart. And I asked him, why did did the church move? Because it was clear that he was the driving force in doing what every pastor said you can't do. And he said, listen, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If we hadn't gone when we did, it would have been 20 more years before that could have been voted on, and I would have been dead, and everybody else would have been dead that cared about it. But he said, when we moved, obviously you can think about the culture of the church Uh, that was a heated situation and he said as chairman of the board uh, this was the rule that was made and enforced he said in no meeting of that board were you allowed to share a problem you were not allowed to come in and say a few people have been talking and I'm concerned you weren't allowed to say that It was a voting board, and you can bring a solution to a problem, and we'll vote on it, but you're not allowed to air problems. If there's not a solution, we don't talk about it. We only talk about solutions. And he ran that probably like he ran his business. But in that situation, they were able, as a church, in spite of that tempest, what they said was pessimism's going over the side. We're not going to deal with pessimism. We're going to walk in faith. We're going to stand in faith. We're going to, listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? He has not abandoned us in this moment. There's lost people. There's tens of thousands of lost people inside of 10 miles of us. He has called us. We are going, and he will bless us. They did it. You have to put pessimism over the side. In a storm, it's got to go. Doesn't help for people to be running around saying, we're all sinking, we're all dying. Uh, We're we're going down. Somebody needs to talk in faith. Not only does pessimism, pessimism need to go off to the side, but lukewarmness has to go off to the side. Has to go over the side. You don't want to face a storm in a weakened spiritual condition. Again, I don't know much about sailing, but I mean, <clears throat> you know, you look, at, uh, you look at Jonah laying down there when the storm got going. But, but I would think that you want to face a storm at my best. Sure. I got to be at my best. This is important. We have to rise to the occasion. I have to rise to this occasion. And so you have to deal with your own sense of lukewarmness. Again, in Laodicea, the, that church in Revelation, the uh, Lord says to them, "Listen, you are neither hot nor cold. You think you're wealthy, but you're poor. And um, but but the, the big issue with them is that they aren't zealous. He he admonishes them to again recapture their zeal for him. And in the storm." you have to recapture your zeal. Listen, if your marriage isn't going so well, you can't deal with that in a weak spiritual place. If your family's having difficulty, you have to be at the top of your spiritual case. You can't face those issues in a weakened place. And I'll admit to you, in my pastorate, even now... I wish I had turned the corner in my life, but I haven't yet. And I pray that the Lord will continue to do what he started in me, but I haven't arrived yet. I have not been perfected at this point. I am not always at my peak spiritual condition. I'm embarrassed to tell you that there are seasons and have been moments, and I want to say moments, but but we're talking weeks and even perhaps months, where my prayer life is not what it should be. Not for a person who's doing what I'm doing. It's not where it should be. There are moments when I'm very busy and I'm very irritated with people. And those are the moments that, at least as a pastor, you have to step back and say, I'm listening, but I'm not talking because I'm not at my peak level of spiritual performance. I don't know that my response in this moment is going to be a godly response, and I don't want to have to come back and apologize to these people because I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm busy, I have not prayed as I should, I'm haphazard in my thinking. It's just... I cannot engage in this moment. Now, when I was younger in ministry, I would go ahead and engage. But praise the Lord, he's done something in my life. I don't do that as often. You can't face a storm in a weakened position. I mean, listen, I'm saying this because I love you. The only threat to any church surviving a storm are roomfuls of people who are consistently trying to make decisions in a lukewarm position. Everybody has to say, listen, if we meet, if we talk, We're going to be fasting for two days before we go into that meeting because those are important decisions. We want prayer before we go into that condition. Make sure you are spiritually ready to go in. Don't be fighting with your wife before you come into that meeting. Don't be busy. Take a couple of vacation days. Get yourself in a zealous place for God Get yourself in a place of spiritual strength. And churches need that. You ought to have the best services that you've had in a long time right now. Right now. If, if, uh, and again, without a pastor, that is in and of itself a, a storm. You need to have spiritual vibrancy now. It's important now. You say, I never say Amen. Learn. Stand in front of the mirror. Learn to raise your hand. First time you put it up, it's going to feel like a lead weight. Practice at home. You have to face it strong, not weak. There was a guy named uh, Kenneth Scott uh, Latterette, I think his name was, Latterette. He wrote uh, this huge volume of... uh, The History of the Expansion of the Christian Church. And he was a brilliant guy. And uh, I think he taught at Yale. Not where the smart people are now, but when he was there, that's where the smart people are. And um, in that series, he uh, weighed why Christianity expanded so rapidly in spite of its opposition. And... I think probably the four biggest reasons given by others that Christianity expanded was that it had absolute truth. It was unique in some of its truth claims, and that was attractive. Uh, others said that uh, it was about its inclusivity. Christianity was by far the most inclusive religion of the first century in many ways as far as how it accepted uh, uh, different uh, nationalities has, as far as it uh, accepted uh, the, uh, the uh, women in, in leadership positions. So there's a lot of, to say about inclusivity. There's a lot to say about its flexibility. Yeah. Christianity remains the only worldwide religion. All the other major religions, again, are basically uh, racial religions. 80% of Muslims are Arab, 90% of Shinto uh, Practice or those who follow Shintoism are uh, Japanese. Buddhism is 90% Chinese. Uh, Hinduism is about 90 to 95% Indian. Christianity is the only uh, religion that went everywhere equally. It's only national religion, but uh, or, or the international religion, and that's because it's a very flexible religion, it can be adapted to different places. And then others pointed out that uh, perhaps Christianity grew so quickly because it produced the most moral people and as the Roman Empire was in decline uh, Rome began to value anything that could lessen the decline and the Christians were very clearly the salt within the Roman Empire. But lateret said, you know all that's naive. He said all of that is true to some degree or another but there's a naivete to it. He said because when you study Christianity within the context of world history what is clear is that at the very beginning of Christianity was a release of energy that has never happened in world history. There was an energy that came into a group of people that propelled them out with zeal to change the world. And we believe that was the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, by the way. But but the Holy Spirit produced the zeal which produced the moral change and the evangelism and the willingness to stand on absolute truth and to accept people that didn't look like them. At the beginning, it was the zeal Dri- given by the Spirit that produced everything else you saw in Christianity in the first hundred years. You have to maintain your zeal. You have to maintain your spiritual vibrancy. And again, a storm will take your spiritual vibrancy. I mean, uh, you haven't had marriage problems yet till you uh, don't want to go to church with her. I mean, if, if you can still sit on the pew together and keep up appearances, you've you got a good marriage. I mean, uh, the, 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 the situations in families and in marriages and in our own life are things that war against our spiritual vitality. And yet something has to rise up inside of you that says, I will not be weak. I will face this situation in the power of the Holy Spirit, in all the faith and optimism that comes from God, and I will face it with a mind and a heart to hear what the Holy Spirit says to me. Amen. So you have to throw pessimism over. You've got to throw lukewarmness over. And you have to throw self-reliance over as well y'all should have left the clock in here. You took out the most important piece of furniture. You have to throw self-reliance over because it's not you that's going to accomplish anything. It's not might and power. It's by the Holy Spirit. So you and I walk in faith. You and I walk in spiritual strength because we have been with the Lord and we are listening to his voice, but we don't approach anything like we can solve it because we can't. I mean, what Satan would want you to think is that you can fix your husband. You can't. You can't. You can't change a heart. God can take a stony heart and make it fleshly, but you can't do that. You can't go down into whatever hole your wayward son is and dig them out and bring them to church and make them serve the Lord. You can't do that. You can pray. You can be the prodigal son's father and you can stand on the porch praying and hoping, but you can't alter that heart. You can only, in many ways, just encourage and become codependent with them. But you can't deliver them from the bondage of addiction. I mean, you can't, Jesus said, add one cubit to your height. I mean, physically, what can you do? What can you do? You can't really, you know, unless God helps you, you can't really even forgive somebody. Even, forget changing somebody else's heart. I can't change my own heart. I know a guy who is in a really, Bad situation, family-wise. And I say, how are you coping? And he says, every morning I get up and the first thing I pray is, Lord, help me to love my family. Help me to love them, Lord. I can't love them in and of myself. Do something in my heart. Help me to have love for my family. And he's on the right track. That's all he can do. The Lord doesn't help him. With everything that's happening, he will find it almost impossible to love them himself. A lot of things you and I can't do. A lot of things you and I can't do. And you have to admit that. You have to own that. But that doesn't mean you feel weak because what you can't do and what I can't do, God can do. God can raise us up. God can give us strength. God can move. I was talking to my mom uh, the other day. And I knew a couple of things that had happened in the marriage of my dad and mom, but I didn't connect them. I didn't understand one was cause and one was effect. My mom, uh, when she was uh, 22 years old, there were three kids. They got married when they were 17 and 16. She finally got up the courage to leave my dad my dad was very much the product of his raising and uh, when he got married he still didn't he didn't quit living like a single guy I'll put it that way and so my mom had had enough and 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 so she called her mom to come pick her up there were two kids not three two kids and um, she said my mom showed up and there I am I have got two brown trash bags That's all I got. Take my two brown trash bags with two little kids following me. We get in the car. We go home. And she said, I sit at the table, and my mom said, now I know how angry you are at Ron. But Kathy, I think he's got a good heart. And if you'll go back, I think he'll make you a good husband someday. And my mom said at the time, she thought, well, she just doesn't want to feed three more people. But two days later, dad drives up in the yard, and mom goes out there, got her two little trash bags and two little kids. They get in the car, they go home. That was in the summer. A few weeks later in the fall, dad, working on the Rice Tower in Arkansas, third shift, Has to read to stay awake. No Christian background. Goes by his in-law's house to find some reading material. Picks up the children's story book of the Bible. Takes it with him to read that night. He reads it. I don't know how often he read it. But before he finished it, he went out on that rice tower and gave his life to Christ. And he did make a good husband. For another 54, 55 years, and thank the Lord because I wasn't born yet. So, now you have to have hope. You have to have hope. You have to have faith. Can't have negativity. You got to have a healthy suspicion God might actually do something in this mess. You got to have that. You have to work on your own spiritual issues. And you have to again believe that in God's timing He will do what you can't do. You wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord. You wait expecting. You don't wait watching Matlock. You wait expecting. When you say wait on the Lord that doesn't mean mean you watch a lot of TV. No, you wait on the Lord. You work on yourself spiritually. You walk in faith. You walk in hope. You walk in positive suspicion because you know that God won't abandon you if Jesus didn't abandon you in his Gethsemane. He won't abandon you in in yours. So you wait on the Lord and you keep going. Now, here's a question and then I'm finished. What happens if the worst happens? What happens if the boat actually sinks? What happens if the marriage actually doesn't survive in the end? What happens if the family does blow up? What happens on a rare occasion, perhaps, when the boat does go down? What happens if your health does, in fact, not come back? I would remind you of Acts chapter 27, 19, where Paul's on a boat, and the boat goes down. But Paul makes it to shore anyway. Sometimes the boat goes down, not very often, but every now and then it goes down, but you walk in faith. You walk in spiritual strength. And even if the boat might go down, if it might go down, you can be saved in the end. The marriage collapses, guess what? You can thrive. You're walking in faith. You're walking in vibrancy. You're walking with God. Sometimes the mechanism goes down, but those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ those who are walking according to his plan, those who are listening to him, those who have put lukewarmness over the side, guess what? They make it to where God intended to the, for them to go anyway. Praise you know, Paul, when he got on the boat, he said, uh, starting to sink, I'm sure Paul said, God, Father, you, you, said, uh, you, you, you said you'd get me there. And perhaps the father said, I did say I'd get, I didn't say it, the boat, I said I'd get you there. you got to believe that God will care for you. God cares about you. He cares whether your family makes it to heaven. He cares whether your marriage makes it to heaven. He cares about what's going on in your life. And listen, even if it ends in a divorce now, it doesn't mean that, I mean, Hold off. Give God time. If the marriage is blown up, don't disinvite everybody at Thanksgiving. It might be fixed by then. Sometimes boats look like they're going to sink and they come back. But you've got to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Stand with me. The very best that I can do, and the very best that you can do. The waves are high. There's rain, there's gales. And the boat's rocking. Very best I can do, put my trust and hope in Jesus Christ. I can pray, I can make sure I'm an instrument of him and I'm saying what he wants me to say. And I can talk faith, I can talk faith. I can remember how he's blessed me. Every morning I get up, I can answer that question to myself, What do you have left? What have I got left? What has God given to me? And you start there. What has God given to me? And do I really think he would fail me now? Out of that, again, I want to face this day in spiritual strength, not spiritual weakness. I'm not going to face this day in anger. I'm not going to face this day in ingratitude. I'm not going to face this day hating people who don't even know I hate them. I'm not going to face this day with opinions that I may or may not know are true. But I'm facing this day in spiritual strength. And I'm going to wait on the Lord when I don't have the answer. He can do in a moment what I can't do in a lifetime. Most of the problems we have in life, most of the heartbreak we have is because somebody's heart needs to be changed and it hasn't been changed yet. Most of the heartbreak we have, think about all the things that keep you up at night. The vast majority is because of what's going on in other people's hearts. And you can't fix that. You got to accept the things that uh, you can't fix. How does it go? Change the things you can, and have the courage to know the difference. It doesn't mean you can't do anything, but it it means you can pray, and means you can trust God. But you got to wait for God to move on those hearts. And that sounds like a weak thing to do but it's the most powerful thing you can do. You don't have anything stronger than your faith. There's nothing stronger than your prayers. There's nothing stronger than your confidence in God. Nothing stronger. I don't know what storm you're in in your life. Maybe it's a doctor-caused storm. Maybe it's a spouse-caused storm or a child-caught storm. God cares about you. you got to believe that. You've got to believe that. you got to believe that. Father, I pray for those who stand here today. And I pray that there might be a baptism of grace in this room. May mercy and grace fall in this place. Father, I, I remember what our brother taught last night and how true it is. Grace isn't just about forgiveness, it's about power. And sometimes it's the power to just wait on you, just to wait a little longer, give you space to work. Give you space to move. Allow you to do a little work on us, Father. Sometimes we uh, don't have what we want because we're not spiritually ready yet to have it. But there's still work that has to be done in our lives. So, Lord, I pray in this room for just a spirit empowerment and peace for hearts that are troubled by a storm may you speak as the great peacemaker you speak peace to the winds and the waves speak peace to our wind and our waves Father we feel our helplessness and that's good cause that's reality now may we cling to your strength. Cling to your strength. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to come today if you would like. Let me say this and then I'm finished. I'm getting, stay, stay, stay right here, my sister. I remember reading about some folks who were on a boat and the boat was really rocking and Uh, there were a lot of people on the boat that had never really sailed before so they're down in the inner cabin and they're scared to death finally one guy gets the courage to go outside and he climbs the ladder and the wind is beating him and the rain and he climbs up and and then he comes back down just a few minutes later with a big smile on his face and he says it's going to be okay and they say how can you be so sure and he says because I just saw the captain's face Captain's not worried about it. We ought not be worried about it. I want to tell you something. The captain's not worried about your problem. Captain's not worried about it. The guy with the steering wheel in his hands is well capable to steer through any storm that comes in life. He's not worried about it. So why don't you cast your care on him? He's fine. Can you trust that? Can you trust that? All right, God bless you.